up, nerds? This is In My Expert Opinion, a podcast about the nonfiction side of speculative fiction. Your hosts are Dr. Marcus Cole. I get paid to do science. Sarah Ward. I'm a scientist in progress. And me, Abby Cole. I'm not a scientist at all. Join us as we geek out about the made-up stuff we love and the real stuff that shaped it. Today we're going to talk about 100 Years of Solitude, the Insomnia Plague, and possible connections to real-world medical conditions. Interesting. Tell us about the Insomnia Plague. Yeah, so I guess uh, real fast, I kind of just wanted to mention that Marquez actually wrote a lot about disease in his other works. Oh, you mean like Love in the Time of Cholera? Yeah, which actually like talks about like cyanide poisoning and like almond smell as it relates to cyanide and stuff like that, which I thought was like pretty interesting. That's obviously a much more like realistic take on something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at least that part of it, right? I'm not super familiar with Love in the Time of Cholera, but obviously cholera isn't the title, so I have to imagine it comes up at some point. I actually haven't read it, but I'm gonna go ahead and say yes. I'm gonna I'm gonna say yes, it does. Um, but the insomnia <laughs> plague in 100 Years of Solitude happens in like I want to say like the third chapter, so it's like semi early on. Are there chapters? Apparently, I wow. Um, maybe chapters is a little bit of a bold way of phrasing it. <laughs> oh, no, third, you might be right. Like <laughs> unit, you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Basically, what happens is so, like we said before. This is in the fictional town of Mocondo in Colombia. It's on the, the Caribbean coast of Colombia. The banana zone. Yeah. So there is the uh, the Buendia family, right? And the head of the family, Jose Arcadio, and his wife, uh, Ursula. So an orphan is sent to them from another area called uh, La Wajira. So she's delivered to them. Her name is Rebecca. Uh, she, like, doesn't speak. She doesn't seem to understand Spanish. She is uh, found awake one night by another person who fled this area uh, named Visitacion, who finds her like awake and sucking on her thumbs. Uh, Her eyes are like gleaming like a cat in the night, right? This person realizes that she has the insomnia plague. And so she tells her, uh, the Buendias, that this girl Rebecca has this plague and the family's like really excited about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As you do. Yeah, they're like, oh, we can get more out of life, right? Like, who hasn't, like, thought to themselves, like, if I don't sleep, then I could do so much stuff, you know? Like, yeah. I kind of relate to that, to be honest with you. Yeah, I can get it. I find sleeping to be kind of boring. (laughs) So they basically were like, oh, we could finish our work, and then instead of having to sleep, we can, like, have fun all night kind of thing. Like, we can enjoy ourselves. Oh, okay. This is the only time I've ever said that I didn't like sleep that much and was not met by at least one person being like, what? <laughs> yeah, sleep gets annoying. If you could just like avoid sleep, it'd be better. This must be, I think we are a weird sample size here, folks. I mean, I actually love sleeping, but I get the impulse because sometimes I do wish that I could like get more done in a day, you know? I'm down for that. Yeah, more Skyrim, mostly. Mostly more Skyrim. Exactly. Ursula makes sweets and sells them in town and that spreads the plague. And all the other townspeople were really happy about it. Like, the villagers were, like, really happy because there was so much to do. Like, they could get everything done. There's, like, a quote in the book that I feel like kind of speaks to the magical realism part of it. Mm -hmm. In that, like, how it's, like, this normalized thing. Like, the way it's phrased is, 
Children and adults sucked with delight on the delicious green roosters of insomnia, the exquisite pink fish of insomnia, and the tender yellow ponies of insomnia, so that dawn on Monday found the whole town awake. So it's like, this like vector is the food that like spreads this plague to the whole town, right? Yeah. They're all really excited about it. Like they get to like, you know, hang out at night. They tell stories and jokes. A quarantine is established to prevent outsiders from falling ill. So they're told they can't eat or drink because everything's contaminated with insomnia. This takes place before... Um, before everything with like the, the fruit company and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's pretty early on. Before the, the invasion of the military dude and the whole thing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so um, the outsiders had to wear bells uh, and they had to ring them as they walked around so the villagers knew they were healthy. Oh, okay. Incredible. At some point, though, like the villagers started becoming really melancholic without dreaming. Like they, they missed being able to fall asleep, not because they were tired, but because they missed like having dreams and fantasies and stuff. Interesting. And so they like they like start telling each other like jokes and stories, but they're really repetitive <laughs> like it, it sucks right like they're just like constantly yes. saying the same thing to each other over and over and over again uh don't you know people like that though woof yeah I- <laughs> it is rough <laughs> so the buendias uh they prepare an aconite it's a, a poisonous plant in the buttercup family uh, a concoction of aconite so they can experience dreams while awake so in this state they can see so their like drugs or- yeah so they can see their own dreams but they can also see the dreams of others so drugs. Oh, cool. Right, yeah, but it's like this weird like hallucination <laughs> state where they can see other people's dreams too. Oh my god, what a nightmare. Listen, I mostly my dreams are fine. There's some stuff that I don't want anyone to look at. That's it fair. It just it's like too awkward, I feel like. <laughs> too awkward and weird. Yeah, no. I mean, that's fair, right? Like you got to keep some stuff private. Yeah, I feel like dreams it, yeah. are kind of meant to be somewhat private well especially because you don't have any control over them right so it's like then i'm gonna be held accountable for what's going on in my brain when i can't do anything about it (laughs) uh sometime after this is when aureliano Mm -hmm. is the first to notice memory loss as a symptom of the plague so he like does like blacksmithing i think and he like looks at an anvil and doesn't know what the name is is this the aureliano that ends up just like making goldfish forever potentially i don't know i the namings are very confusing to yeah. this book. <laughs> but he basically realizes that the true problem of the insomnia plague is not that you can't sleep, but you lose the name and the notion of things. So not only do you not know what it's called, but you don't know what it does. Weird. Uh, mm. Jose Arcadio proposes like a naming method. So something that indicates the name and the purpose of the object. Like putting a, a sign on a cow that says, this is a cow. It makes milk. We use milk to make coffee and milk. So like that Wild. kind of like helping remember system. Mm-hmm. Some of the villagers like find that that is it's so hard. It requires like so much moral strength and vigilance to like every single day look at stuff around you and to go, I don't know what that is. And I have to try to remember what it is based on this sign and like piece together their life. Do they start losing words too? So they don't know what like words are for things anymore. So but then when they say when they see the sign that's like it's for coffee and milk and then they're like, what's milk or. Yeah, basically. Ooh, nightmare. <laughs> get it because <laughs> they're <laughs> it's kind of not clear like what is lost and what isn't kind of thing like it's this like progressive mm-hmm. thing um mm-hmm. but basically like some of these villagers like hate this and so they find it more comforting to like live in a fake reality so some of the villagers start living by card reading like tarot cards yeah so a woman starts reading cards for them and for these people uh so in the book there's a passage that says like where a father was remembered faintly as a dark man who arrived at the beginning of April, and a mother was remembered only as a dark woman who wore a gold ring on her left hand. 
and where a birth date was reduced to the last Tuesday on which a lark sang at the laurel tree. Oh my god, so fucking beautiful. Like, they don't know what anything is. All of their memories are gone. They can't remember what things are. They don't know what a mother or a father is, so they just remember it as, like, something a card told them. Like, the image on the card and the card reading. That's terrible, but that is some fucking beautiful prose. Anybody who's like, mm, fiction's not really my thing, you have a stone where your heart should be. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, I'm throwing down the glove on this one. That's that fair. is too beautiful. I found a lot of the stuff when I was reading through this, like, very beautiful prose. It is... A little bit difficult to understand, I feel like, in terms of the names and like trying to figure out who is who kind of thing, but the prose itself was like really lovely. I really need to read this book. Yes. That's what I'm saying. It's an experience. Yeah, seriously. You got to let it wash over you like rain or banana smells or, you know, something <laughs> like that. Banana smells. So um, Jose Arcadio uh, builds a memory machine. It's like a dictionary kind of thing. You operate it with a lever, and over the course of a few hours, like, you can see the notions necessary for life. Like, it, like, teaches you what you need to know to live, basically. But the whole town, like, descends into this, like, melancholic, like, honestly horrible existence of not knowing anything anymore. But eventually, an old family friend, an alchemist, what is his name? Melchiades. Yeah, so he shows up. He gives the villagers, like, this kind of gentle concoction um, that helps them regain their memory and sleep kind of thing. So they're, like, cured of this plague. So that's the insomnia plague and 100 Years of Solitude. Huh. So sad, so beautiful. So horrifying. Yeah. You love to see it. So uh, what's the deal with uh, real-world tie-ins? Yeah. Yeah, so basically I found a couple different papers uh, by some neuroscientists that kind of talk about like a like a differential diagnosis of this plague. Wait, I'm sorry. Dif- differential diagnosis is the thing where you're like, it could be this, 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 this. Basically, because it's like fake, okay. right? Like this is a mm-hmm. an imagined plague that is kind of presented as a sickness, but also kind of not. Yes. Wait, but that's a real thing in, in regular w- real world. There's a differential diagnosis, right? Right. So they're basically just saying this is a oh, fictional okay. plague. It has these characteristics. Maybe it's one of these things. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, keeping in mind that it's obviously fake. And you can't actually test it and find out if any of these theories are like true. Right, exactly. Or is it? So basically, uh, I guess, quote unquote, clinical characteristics of the insomnia plague. Can I guess? Mm-hmm. Insomnia. Yep. Forgetfulness. Whoa. Yep. Sadness. Sure. Melancholy. <laughs> sure. I mean, that's kind mm. of associated with it. Yeah. Um. Are there any more? Should I yeah. keep guessing? Basically, it's an epidemic. It affects children and adults equally. Oh. oh, oh. Um. But it's not associated with mortality. Um. And it's also not associated with like fever or behavioral changes. Okay. So it's a curable epidemic that gives insomnia and critically the loss of memory. Got it. But it's the loss, I guess, of like a very particular part of memory because like if your behavior is the same. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So basically what it boils down to is episodic versus semantic memory. Mm -hmm. Um, Semantic is like conceptual knowledge. This is like matching a word with its image and meaning. Semantic memory is like being able to look at a picture of a cat and go, that's a cat. It's a feline. It acts like this. Sure. Episodic memories are day-to-day memory. Um, so the episodic memory of these of these villagers was essentially unaffected, it seemed like. Mm. Although I believe it does say that some of them start to lose the memory of their childhood, like way later on in the disease kind of thing. I feel like that could be tied into like your childhood being how you form an understanding of what things are though, right? Yeah. But basically what it boils down to is they lost their conceptual knowledge or their semantic memory. Mm-hmm. All right, so one of the people I'm pulling from is Alejandro uh, Velasquez Torres, who is a professor of neuroscience at the School of Medicine and Health Sciences at the um, University of Rosario in Bogota, Colombia. Oh, sweet. A Colombian dude. 
Alejandro uh, and coworkers wrote an article on some differential diagnoses. This actually came out in 2020. It's a very recent article. I guess I shouldn't be surprised. It makes sense that this is the most likely place for this type of neuroscience to be taking place is in Marquez's home country. Yeah, that makes sense, right? (laughs) So this covers eight different diseases which bear some resemblance to the insomnia plague. I'm actually planning on talking about two of them in greater detail later. Um, So those are semantic dementia and encephalitis lethargica. Whoa. So I'll talk about that later. Basically, some of the diseases he lists include infectious encephalitis, fatal familiar insomnia, Alzheimer's, Korsakoff syndrome. Uh, There's a few others. Honestly, I cannot pronounce some of them. Medical diseases and disorders being named by the people who discovered them means that sometimes I can't pronounce the names correctly. What did you say? Familiar? Fatal familiar? So fatal familiar insomnia is a, a genetic disease caused by mutation. It was first described in 1986. It's been reported in more than 100 families. It's really deadly. Like, you die within 18 months. Oh, God. Holy shit. Oh, God. It is associated with insomnia, sleep fragmentation, um, severe memory impairment because you're not sleeping, um, Mm -hmm. an impaired consciousness state, and then eventually death. Oh, my God. Do we know what causes it? Nope. Wow. Or rather, it's, like, caused by this, like, mutation in a protein gene, but I don't know why Uh, that happens in people, but it's, like, isolated to, like, families. And you said this is genetic? Yeah. So it's been reported in more than 100 families. So I'm not really sure, I guess, what causes it in the sense of why sometimes a family has it. Um, Mm. But it is like a a genetic mutation that causes it, technically. That's wild. This is just some weird mutation. Yeah, exactly. Something weird that went on during some kind of replication sequence. And now this is just propagated through your family. Through your family. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like one of the things that they point out. Obviously, it's not really like the insomnia plague, which is not, you know, linked to families uh, specifically. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously, it's also curable, right? Mm-hmm. One of the other ones I wanted to point out is uh, Karsakoff syndrome, which is a chronic memory disorder. It's caused by se- a severe thiamine or vitamin B1 deficiency. So it's most commonly associated with alcoholism. You can have that kind of deficiency otherwise, but like that's common with alcoholics. Is Karsakov, I, okay, I'm going to paint a broad brush about Russian writers and drinking. Is it a, named after a sad person from Russian literature or is it named after the person who discovered it? So it was uh, named after uh, Sergei Karsakov, who is a neuropsychiatrist, who was the first one who like described it. Okay. It just sounds like something that a sad person in Russian literature would have. (laughs) (laughs) So basically, uh, when first described in 1888, the individuals with the syndrome were like apathetic and dreary. And a really big part of this syndrome is confabulations. What does that mean? A confabulation is a a memory error and you fill the memory gaps unconsciously with bad information like incorrect misinterpreted false information but it's not lying it's like your brain substitutes in bad information this i find terrifying this i find sometimes i feel like my brain is doing this i I understand that it's probably not the level of severity of the actual thing but this is a scary terrifying thing to me i mean it's my understanding that confabulations like happen okay and your brain's kind of set up to like fill in the blanks like in real time, like you're not yeah, always exactly. like perceiving everything. So it's almost natural for the brain to try to do this. I'm always receiving everything, man. <laughs> <laughs> 
the reason I thought this was kind of interesting is because Velasquez Torres uh, suggested that the villagers in 100 Years of Solitude who were using card reading to like guide their lives and their memory formation oh. is a form of confabulation, but a, like a, like a willful it. form of it, right? Like I yeah, am yeah, purposely yeah, yeah, yeah. using false information to like give me my memory because I don't know what a mother or father is anymore, but the cards tell me this. So that's what it must be. I am uh... ricocheting so fast between like absolute like poetic delight and ecstasy <laughs> and like absolute existential terror and dread. <laughs> it's, it's a wild ride over here. I mean, I don't really blame you. I feel like this like memory stuff is kind of that, right? Like it's like, oh, so interesting. Oh my God, how terrible, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I don't know about you guys, but like thinking about like dementia and Alzheimer's is like grim and like really yeah. upsetting. Yeah. But like, yeah. No. I don't know, hearing like, oh, actually, it's a confabulation to use card reading to make your memory is like so interesting and poetic Ooh. and beautiful. Mm. But also it's like about this like really bleak stuff. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so uh, this paper covers a lot of these different uh, diseases. I won't go into all of them, but basically what it boils down to is like a lot of them are associated with like behavioral changes. Like, people with Alzheimer's have behavioral changes. Right. And a lot mm-hmm. of them are associated with, like, mortality. Yeah. So the insomnia mm-hmm. plague obviously is fake, but you can't really relate it to some of these because it's like, well, I mean, everyone dies when they have that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Everyone has, like, a fever and it's, like, caused by bacteria and whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. Got it. But you have some uh, non-fatal ones in the docket. Yes. So the first one I'll talk about is semantic dementia. Um, As it relates to 100 Years of Solitude, there was an article written by Katya Raskovsky, um, who is currently a research assistant professor in the Department of Neurology at UPenn. This was written in 2009, though. So I believe at the time she was at the UCSF uh, Memory and Aging Center. Oh, cool. Wait, hang on. I know you must have said neurology, but I did hear urology. I did say neurology, though, yeah. Okay, okay. Just checking. I mean, listen, people can step outside their comfort zones. Very, very different medical profession. Yeah, very different, uh, <laughs> different parts of the body, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I, I don't know. I mean, on the off chance, I figured, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So neurology, for sure, yeah, for sure. For sure, for sure. Neurology. For sure, for sure. Anyway, so semantic dementia. This was first described by Arnold Pick in, like, the late 1800s, early 1900s. In autopsies, he saw people that had this uh, asymmetrical atrophy in the frontal and temporal lobes of their brain. Mm. Until 1975, this wasn't really talked about in that oh way. Oh, my God. Really skipped a few decades there, huh? Right, yeah. Yeah. Elizabeth Warrington wrote about a group of patients who had this asymmetry. But before they died, they also had this, or I guess she probably did MRIs, right? But like, so they also had this difficulty in like naming objects, but their grammar Mm. and their language, like their phonology was like totally unaffected. They could speak perfectly, but they would like look at a cat and be like, what is that? Wait, wait, they would say, what is that? Like they didn't recognize it or like they couldn't name it? Both. It kind of depended on the patient. I see. Interesting. And then in 1989, Julie Snowden finally gave this name, semantic dementia. Mm-hmm. So basically, it's a type of primary progressive aphasia. Oh, okay. Okay. Abby, you don't like language stuff more. I know some language stuff, yes. Aphasia is just like having trouble with speaking? Yes, when your language gets fucked up. I mean, that is like obviously the most pos- simplistic possible yeah. way of putting it. <laughs> don't at me, bro. But uh, yes, it's when your language gets fucked up. Right. So it could be caused by like a number of different things, including like you know, diseases and like physical trauma and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. And there's a bunch of different kinds. 
Yeah, so semantic dementia is the uh, fluent type of primary progressive aphasia. There are two other types. One of them is um, non-fluent. Basically, it's people who have like difficulty with like word order and sentence structure. Mm. They also tend to exhibit something called phonemic paraphasia, which is <sighs> where you substitute a word with a non-word that preserves at least half of the word. So it's like, Ooh. instead of saying telephone, you'd say tefalone. That's a phonemic uh, paraphasia. But S- awesome. uh, SD or semantic dementia is fluent. So you don't have those kinds of errors in speaking, but you have a problem with this conceptual knowledge. That's very cool. I mean, it's not cool, but you know what I mean. So they have difficulty with like this uh, comprehension of words, knowing like the use of objects. Um, it's stuff like saying thing instead of chair. Like, that's how they would, like, express themselves, because they, they can't think of the word for chair, so they just say thing, like this, like, general word. This is something that happens on a... I mean, this happens to me. I'll be like, yeah. right? I mean, Yeah, it, but it, I think it's, it, like, the extreme. And also, you can eventually sure. come up with the name chair. Sure, sure, sure. You're not... Oh, you, like, see, you wouldn't see, sit there for hours being like, I literally cannot name this. Oof. Oof. Now I'm... Okay, now the dread's back. <laughs> yep. It also leads to a lot of, like, categorization errors. If you looked at a picture of a rhino, you would say dog instead. Okay, this is, I'm sure it's not technically related, Mm -hmm. but I think this is an interesting thing about how kids develop language, which is that like when kids are first learning words, they have a tendency to be like hyper-specific or hyper-general about things. Yeah. So like they'll learn that like, for example, their toy that's like a blue ball, they'll learn learn that that's a ball, but if they see like a red one, they won't be able to call it a ball. Oh, really? Yeah, well, some, I mean, like, this is an example, but yeah. Or, like, the opposite of that, whereas, like, everything with fur and four legs is a dog. Mm-hmm. So, like, that yep. dog is a dog, <laughs> that squirrel is a dog, that cat is a dog. Everything's a dog. Right. So it's either, like, they everything is in that category or, like, not enough things are in the category, which I think is very freaking cool. Yeah, it's interesting. I know this is probably not actually related in terms of, like, the actual neurological functions here, but, uh, yeah. Fuck if I know, right? <laughs> Yeah, so Raskowski uh, talks a lot about the insomnia plague and how it relates to people with semantic dementia. So, for example, you know, villagers are putting signs and labels and objects that describe their name and function. Uh, Jose Arcadio built a memory machine, right? Mm-hmm. So she describes a patient uh, who had semantic dementia who had sheets of paper that had their entire vocabulary written out on it. Every single wow. word they knew was Ugh. on that paper. Um, another kept a journal that was like, a manifestation of the past to help him keep his identity. A lot of people with semantic dementia have this like progressive memory loss, but it starts with distant memories. So it is an autobiographical thing that is about day-to-day events, but it's not about recent stuff. It's about childhood and early adult memories. Oh my God. Damn. And so in the book, uh, there's a passage that says, um, when a sick person became used to his state of vigil, the recollection of his childhood began to be erased from his memory then the name and notions of things, and finally the identity of people and even the awareness of his own being until he sank into a kind of idiocy that had no past. This literally sounds like Alzheimer's. It's kind of, I guess, like the reverse of Alzheimer's and that like, I guess Alzheimer's affects like more recent, recent day-to-day stuff. stuff. Yeah. And then goes backwards. So this is a, I think the author called it like a retro, a retrograde memory loss. Uh. But I think some kind of Alzheimer's does present with that retrograde. I'm not super specific mm-hmm. about like, because there's like different types of Alzheimer's, right? Yeah. Anyway, but yeah, this like uh, the loss of like your episodic memory, but starting when you were a kid kind of thing. So you can remember what happened yesterday, but you don't know your entire childhood anymore. Wow. This is so scary. 
Put me back in poetic rapture again. Yep. Do you have anything poetic to... Uh, I guess so. so <laughs> Bring me back. Um, Rakovsky, uh, Raskovsky actually talks about how an early description of Makondo in the book was the world was so recent that many things lacked names. And in order to oh, indicate them, it was necessary to point. So she argues that the insomnia plague is a way of returning villagers to their primitive state because they lose the ability to name and understand objects, which was their defining human achievement and something explicitly stated in the book as like a thing that they grew to be able to do. Incredible. They regress to being primitive because they can't name things anymore and they have to go back to like pointing and like calling things things instead of their specific names. I'm starting to realize that the correlation between my terror and my enjoying this is directly directly tied to whether or not we're talking about the real world or the the book. book. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, it's fiction. Oh, thank God. It can be a metaphor now. Oh, God, it's real. (laughs) Um, I guess kind of going back to... So kind of going back to what you were saying last time about like um, some authors rejecting magical realism. Mm. I I think a similar thing is that um, Marquez actually said that uh, about this kind of theorization that in general critics with the investiture of pontiffs don't don't realize that a novel like 100 Years of Solitude completely lacks seriousness and is full of signal to close friends, signs that only they can decipher. Excellent. It's kind of being like, I mean, it's not a real disease, right? Like this is a fictional, semi-fantastical disease that is meant to indicate something, right? Like it's a mm -hmm. metaphor. Yeah, like this like loss of sleep as a way of like celebrating life but then you lose parts of yourself because of it and for some mm-hmm. people that's too hard so they have to resort to like fake stuff mm-hmm. and like a, an imaginary reality to compensate kind of thing so it's like no it's not like a real disease right like this is like a fake yeah. thing that's meant to like indicate some stuff and be metaphorical i think especially like if you are writing with the intention of it being like either a critique of like a, an ahistorical way of looking at things as a country, which is kind of an issue. And not, I don't know, maybe not as much Colombia as other parts of, I've phrased this so badly. <laughs> I phrased this so badly because historical memory is like a thing that's becomes hugely important in, in Latin America in general, right? After like coups and dictatorships and like yeah. disappearings and whatever. It's something that's now taken pretty seriously. So mm-hmm. like, if I'm going into this with this being like a critique of What's important to remember and forget? How do we remember and forget things? You know, it kind of ties into the banana plague. They're plant banana, not banana plague. The uh, banana massacre thing as well. Please don't tell me this is about Alzheimer's. It's not about Alzheimer's. I'm I'm trying to tell you that we gotta like think about things and frame things in a certain way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I think that makes sense. Like, don't say that this is a real world disease. This is a specific thing that I am using as a framing device. And also, Middle Earth is not. A fucking fantasy world. <laughs> and also, I didn't name orcs after the fucking old English word orc, et cetera, et cetera. which means demon. It's all made up, you fools. You're all wrong. Oh, man. But yeah, basically, I guess like the idea is that semantic dementia has a lot of similar patient characteristics and how they cope with the memory loss. Obviously, insomnia is not a part of it. Mm-hmm. Sure. Unlike the insomnia plague, it's not a plague. This is like a thing that happens to people usually when they're over 65. So the other disease I wanted to talk about is encephalitis lethargica, and this is an epidemic, and it is related to sleep, but not the memory loss part. Interesting. So basically, uh, I'm going to be pulling from uh, an article written by Christoph Koch. 
He is a uh, the chief scientist of the MindScope program at the Allen Institute for Brain Science, uh, formerly a professor at Caltech. So he wrote this article in 2016 uh, about sleepy sickness or encephalitis lethargica. So this was a, an epidemic that lasted between 1916 and 1926 that affected the world. What? The exact numbers <laughs> are unknown, but it's assumed that a, over a hundred, sorry, over a million people were infected what? and hundreds of thousands of people died. What? What? Yes. Hold on. I, I feel like I should have known about this. I don't know why I've literally never heard of this before. Okay. That is so strange. I guess a million people spread out over 10 years is like not like a big burst event. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It got but overshadowed still... by Spanish flu. I don't fucking know. I mean, wait, when was that? Like 14 or whatever the hell? 1917. 17. Yeah. Yeah. Also, like, I'm used to mainlining information from Twitter right now. So, like, this is. <laughs> <laughs> How did I'm... this not come up? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mainlining information from Twitter. How did I not find out about this thing that happened 100 years ago? <laughs> God damn it, Twitter, get your shit together. It's like I Twitter. need the facts. <laughs> Twitter, I need to be educated. Twitter, tell me about the sleeping sickness. Anyway. Keep going. I'm going to look up the sleeping sickness on Twitter. No, just kidding. <laughs> so the sleeping sickness was first described in 1917 by Jean-René Crochet in Paris <laughs> and Baron Constantine von Economo in Vienna. Wow. Say that second one again. I love it. Baron Constantine von Economo. Excellent. You guys can't expect me to pronounce words. I can barely pronounce words in English. No, no, no. You don't understand. (laughs) I wasn't making fun of your pronunciation. I was just like really reveling in that name. It's a pretty good name, right? It's a good name. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so the symptoms of encephalitis lethargica or EL, it starts basically with- Can I guess? Hmm? Yeah, go ahead and guess. Um, You're lethargic and you're encephalitic. Okay. Uh, so what it starts with is a flu-like malaise, uh, like sore throat, headache, joint pain, fever, like nausea, that kind of thing. Um, and then it progresses to abnormal eye movements. This is like having your eyes be uncoordinated. Oh. Drooping shit. eyelids and the urge to sleep. Uh, this lethargy can last for weeks, sometimes up to a year or more. Mm-hmm. Um, the mortality of this disease is about 30 to 40%. Jesus. Yes. So the weird thing about encephalitis lethargica, sorry, one of the weird things <laughs> is that um, some people suffered the opposite problem. Like they had severe insomnia, weirdly enough. Okay. But the cause of it is pretty uncertain. Is that, okay, wait, this reminds me of my sister is allergic or was as a child allergic to Benadryl. Okay. So you know how it like typically makes you sleepy? Yeah. But she would like get fully manic and angry and like run around in circles. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying this. Oh, really? Yeah. That's wild. (laughs) She couldn't have Benadryl. I don't know if she could take, I think she can have it now. But she used to have like a, an adverse reaction that gave her the exact opposite effect. That's crazy. Uh, Yes. Mm -hmm. To be fair, she was often angry and running around in circles. What's up, Ellen? (laughs) Thanks for listening to the podcast. (laughs) But yeah, the cause like remains uncertain. This guy proposes that it might have been like a cold or a flu virus that triggered like a triggered like an inappropriate immune response. So like Mm. it's like an autoimmune disorder. But basically Mm -hmm. about 10 years after this epidemic started, it stopped and it like barely pops up elsewhere. Like, it just r- stopped, ceased to exist. Well, I think we should just wait out COVID then. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, I just got my vaccine. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, so it just, like, stopped being a thing. There's a couple of, like, isolated cases every once in a while, but it just, like, stopped being a problem, like, 10 years after it started. Well, that sounds good. I Would it be something that there would be a cure for nowadays? Or you said it was viral. They don't really know what it is, like, what causes it. Oh, they don't know. So it's, like, never popped up enough for anybody to study it again? Like, it's just, like, it's gone. Yeah, it just kind of, like, emerged from World War One trenches. Like, that's how it, like, spread rapidly. And then people got sick, and then they stopped being sick, or they died. Interesting. I like this. I have this thing from someone named uh, Eleanor Carey. She lived in New York City and fell sick in uh, February of 1923. Uh, and she wrote about this, and it was published in uh, newspapers at the time, uh, partly to kind of, like, help with an awareness of, like, what was happening to people with this disease. Mm-hmm. So she said, um... When the idea finally crept through my sleeping brain that I must awaken, it seemed to be a physical impossibility. I wanted to be obliging, but I just could not. It seems to me to be just as difficult to come to consciousness as it would have been had I been buried in a pit as deep as the center of the earth where the circular walls about me were shiny, polished marble. These were wow. There were not crevices for my fingers on its sides, nor any places to put my feet, but I must climb out of that pit with my bare hands. So that's how she Excellent. describes this like comatose... Almost wow. like homosexual kind of state of being sick with this disease. Beautiful. I mean, sad, but beautiful. Wild. Anyway, the truly tragic part of this disease is those who survived often developed Parkinson's to some degree oh, no. later on in life. Oliver Sacks in 1973 in his book Awakenings uh, recounted the life histories of victims of the epidemic, um, specifically following the recovery from the acute symptoms. Mm-hmm. And he wrote that people would be like conscious and aware, but they weren't fully awake. They would sit motionless and speechless all day in their chairs, totally lacking energy, uh, impetus, initiative, motive, appetite, effect or desire. They registered what went on about them without active attention and with profound indifference. They neither conveyed nor felt the feeling of life. They were as insubstantial as ghosts and as passive as zombies. So this, like, disease just fucked people up afterwards. Man. Oh, boy. So not the same thing as the insomnia plague, but sleep-related, not a memory thing, but this, like, epidemic related to, uh, like, sleep cycles and sleep disruption, Mm -hmm. which I thought was kind of cool. That is cool. It's heavy. Again, I'm on a roller coaster here. (laughs) Yeah. Got to take the highs with the lows. I mean, honestly, this, if anything, should really demonstrate to people that even if they get COVID, just because they don't die doesn't mean shit. Because, like, later on in life, you can develop, like, severe problems and conditions. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Take that, people. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so these were some of the diseases uh, that were in some way linked to the insomnia plague in these uh, papers on differential diagnosis. Obviously, it's kind of a grain of salt in that, like, it's a fake disease written by an author who used his book as, like, a framing device for a lot of other things. Sure. Like you mentioned, like, political unrest and stuff like that, like, things about just being human, like, the life experiences of these people. But I think it's kind of cool to look at it from the perspective of like what kind of disease could that have been you know what i mean yeah absolutely yeah. uh yeah so i guess that's uh my expert opinion on the insomnia plague and 100 years of solitude fantastic thanks for listening to in my expert opinion please remember to rate and subscribe We'd also be grateful if you'd leave a review with your expert opinion on why this podcast is rad. Five-star reviews will get a shout-out on the podcast. A pretty big deal, if you ask me. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ExpertOpsPod, or email inmyexpertopinion at gmail.com. Later, nerds! <laughs>